welcome to The Ralph Report with Ralph Garman. Well, hello there, boys and girls. Welcome to The Ralph Report for a Thursday. It is February 21st. So happy to have you joining us today. I cannot tell you how big today's show is. Uh, is it huge? That voice you hear, by the way. I am remiss for not introducing oh, it's okay. the vice host himself, Mr. Eddie Pence. Hey, everybody. I, of course, am your old podcast pal, Ralph Garman. Yes, Eddie, it is it's massive. Massive. Let me tell you the content we have lined up for today's show. Not only is it Thursday, that means another visit to the classrooms of Ralph Sex University, where we will be talking about triads, triads today. Yeah. Three people in a romantic slash sexual relationship. Truples. Thruples, 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 thruples. That's, That's right. Is what they call themselves, <laughs> or they call themselves triangles or triads. There's a whole bunch of stuff. We'll get into that. Last night was the premiere of a brand new season of Survivor. Oh man! So Carrie and I will be sitting down to break down that for you with the Survivor report, as well as all the usual stuff, including some of Eddie's drunk thoughts. So as you can see, we are packed to the gills, jam packed. With the show today, so let's get right to it. As you know, we love to hear from you. There are several ways you can contact us here at The Ralph Report. You can write us an email. If you're feeling old-fashioned, you can type out an email. Lick a stamp. <laughs> Put a stamp on it and send it on over. Ralph at TheRalphReport.com is my address. Eddie at TheRalphReport.com. If you want to converse with the vice host, Steve at TheRalphReport.com. If you have an idea for Ask a Brit or anything at all. And then, of course, you can always leave us a voicemail message 24 hours a day, seven days a week on the Ralph Report hotline. It's pretty easy. All you have to do is dial 1-833-Hi-Ralph. <gasps> it's just that simple. If you're in another country, if you're not in the United States or Canada, you can just jump on Skype and use their keypad and punch that in, and that'll get you to us as well. We love it when you leave the messages Besides reading every single email, and I do, I also listen to every single voicemail. So even if you don't hear it here on the show, please know that I got your message and I do appreciate it. But I do grab a handful each and every day and I throw them onto the front of the show in a segment we call lovingly the Garmy on the line. The telephone is ringing. The Garmy's on the line. Ross going to play a A lot of people, when they leave voicemail messages, have suggestions, have requests, have ideas, have complaints. Yeah. But Ian called just to say this. Hi, Ralph. This is Ian, two-star general from up in Santa Cruz. Listening to Wednesday morning episode, and uh, I just wanted to call you and let you know I'm doing all right. Love you, mean it. Bye. We're doing all right. Well, that's good to know. That is a nice message to get because we do slave away here on the Ralph Report for as little as 15 cents a day. I don't yeah. know if I've ever mentioned that. No, I've never heard that before. Yeah. Uh, and to have someone call and just say, hey, boy, Nice right. job. A little pat in the butt. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with a little pep talk. Thank you, Ian. I appreciate that. Eric also <laughs> called in with a great idea. This sprung from the fact we did a deep dive, uh, I don't know, a couple weeks ago. On the TV series theme song from MASH. Yeah. Remember, we talked about the lyrics to it and where it came from. Suicide is Painless is the name of that song. Yeah. And he had an idea that sprung from that. Hey, Ralph and Eddie. This is Eric in Rochester, New York. And yes, it's fucking cold here. Yeah. 
Uh, I love the show. Uh, the reason I'm calling is I really enjoyed the deep dive you did on the MASH theme song. Uh, I've heard you lament the lack of theme songs in today's shows, and I'd love to hear a recurring segment of the greatest TV theme, uh, theme song shows of, of all time, or at least maybe a best three, worst three from you and Eddie. Either way, love you, mean it, bye. That's a great idea. I like that idea. We should do a segment about our favorite TV theme song. I would love to do that. Let's do that on Monday. We'll plan on that for Monday's show. Eddie and I will break down our three favorites, and then later on in the week, maybe we'll hit up our, our three least favorites. Right. I always hated, uh, well, the world don't roll to the beat <laughs> of just, just one drum. drum. That fucking different strokes theme song. I always thought that was repugnant. So there you go. There's a little teaser <laughs> okay. of, of what I'll be talking about sometime later next week. We also got this call, and this made my day. Because when we do the segment like we do on Wednesdays of One Hit Wonders, yeah. my hope is always that playing that song will jar a memory from somebody's past. I haven't thought about that song in years. Right. And they hear us talking about it on the show, and it gives them a smile. Such was the case with our man, Alec. Hey, Ross, it's Alec. Holy fucking shit, did you blow my fucking mind with that popcorn one-hit wonder. I vaguely remember that song from either, like, preschool or fucking kindergarten or something, like, 25-ish years ago, and I remember, for whatever reason, my teacher would play that song a lot whenever we would, like, go out to play or something. Like, she had a playlist of some sort, and that always seemed to fucking come on. And when I was a kid, I was like, yeah, that song's awesome. And at some point, I started to think that it was just fake and it didn't exist, but there it is. <laughs> Holy shit, you just solved a 25-year riddle. <laughs> Love you. Mean it. Alex there thinking that he imagined that song as a little child going out to play to popcorn. And then he heard it 25 years later and all those memories came flooding back. That's what it's good for. Come on. That is an achievement that I will carry with me for the <laughs> remainder of my life. You're welcome, Alec. That was awesome. Also love it when folks contribute to the show via jingles and songs and some little uh, ditty they put together. Yeah. And that's what our good friend Bond, Jana Bond, did. We were talking yesterday about Eddie Pence's chair. I have, I've been, this is the second chair I've had to buy for Eddie because his ass is so special that it needs... I, I don't like how you shift the blame onto me well, for this new I'm chair. Well, I'm just saying that people complain that Eddie's chair wasn't up to snuff. And so I got a chair, but I didn't do my due diligence. And so the chair really wasn't really grown man-sized. So I had to get a second chair, and now I think it's yeah, it's I'm, okay. Is I'm, that all right? Is it, I'm it's happy, an acceptable chair? I was happy chair? with the first chair. This is technically my third chair on this show. That's true. I've only had one chair. Eddie's had three <laughs> this is chairs. my third chair. Just to show you the rank of who's who around here. Uh, this is Eddie's third chair. We think this is the keeper. Anyway, Jana did a song to celebrate Eddie's new chair. Eddie's got a chair. Eddie's got a chair. His ass now feels things are fair. Whole butt fits on the chair. What did Ralph do? Making you sit on that tiny stool. The Garmy said when Eddie's seated, they found him looking oh so lame. Ralph, he felt the pressure and his tiny heart caved. Oh. 
Almost. Eddie's ass will never be the same. Eddie's got a chair. Eddie's got a chair. This isn't a commercial, but Ralph got it from Wayfair.com. Eddie's got a chair. And I don't really care. But I do. Yeah, you do. Oh. Jana, you went to all that hard work. It's nice. That was very nice. Uh, Jana said in her email, <laughs> by the way, that she sent along with that little song. I'm thinking of singing it in my American Idol audition. I am such a great crooner, oh, she said. So that's a lock. That's I think a- Jana may be aware that that may not be her art form. We should do a duet, Janet. <laughs> but she certainly went out of her way to do something nice for us. And we appreciate that yes, here on the Ralph you. Report. You can be just like Jana if you got something to contribute to the show or something that you want to talk about. It's pretty easy. All you got to do is call me. Call me. And perhaps the greatest thing to come out of the Garmy on the Line segment is the person who suggested that we take Eddie Pence and then we slow him down to half speed. And when you do that, through the miracle of technology, it sounds like Eddie Pence is drunk off his ass. Now, here's the irony, is that Eddie does not drink. He's not a drinking man. You've probably never been drunk in your whole no, life. No, I never have. have. Never have. What a waste. What a waste of a life right there. I don't know if I've been sober <laughs> at any point in my whole life. That's why we work perfect together. Uh, he, he has never been drunk, so we get to hear what it would be like if Eddie was sitting on the corner bar stool someplace, three sheets to the wind, pontificating on any subject matter. It's like counterpart. You're but, looking into an alternate universe. That's right. You're on the other side of the interchange. <laughs> and uh, people loved it so much, it's become a regular segment here on The Ralph Report. And it's even got its own jingle. I can't see that close up. something a foot from your face. It's gross. Eddie's drunk thoughts. I'm fine. Yeah, my teeth were working. (laughs) Well, a lot of people suggested this week's drunk Eddie thoughts or Eddie's drunk. I got to get that name right. Eddie's drunk thoughts. Like, for example, Chris, a four-star general from Prince George, B.C. He suggested, along with many other people, that we take the segment from this week's show, or I guess it was last week's show, when we were talking about uh, Ferris Wheel oh, Day. Oh, the Ferris Wheel. Yeah. That was on February 14th. <laughs> I don't like it Ferris Wheels. Ferris Wheel Day. <laughs> Eddie Pence doesn't like Ferris Wheels, and he let everyone know about it, and it's even more poignant when Eddie's drunk. So here is this week's edition of Eddie's Drunk Thoughts. It is also National Ferris Wheel Day, Eddie Pence. You like the Ferris wheel? I love the Ferris wheel. That's that's n- okay. Man, that's not the mare. It's not the the horse thing that goes around. <laughs> uh, that would be a merry-go-round. That's a merry-go-round. The Ferris wheel is the thing that's uh, that takes you up. Right, it takes you up. It high. takes forever to get off of. Because well, you have to... it's not a, it's not a thrill ride. That's no, for sure. It's... it's supposed to be. Oh, look at that! I can see my house it's from here. It's horrifically boring. <laughs> oh, Eddie, Ferris wheel's horrifically boring. You are. It's so boring. Have you ever taken a date on a Ferris wheel? Yeah, it's boring. It's romantic. Well, yeah, if you're making out, yeah. Yeah, sure. and you chat and you look at it and you have this amazing view. It's it's 
a uh, it's it comes from a kinder and simpler you're, time you're trapped up there and so that's the experience you get wherever you are when you're on a ferris wheel just, you get a perspective and a point of view that gives you gives right. you <laughs> But Not. as soon as I get on it, I want to get off of it. Like, as soon as I see the view, okay, get me off this. They have one in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. It's a huge one, and you look up over the Atlantic Ocean. There you which go. Which is great for 30, 40, 50 seconds, oh and then you want to get off the thing. What's your hurry? What do you got to do that's it. so urgent? I got stuff to do. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me. Gonna run over to the corn dog stand. So, a corn dog and not take my wife out for Valentine's Day. <laughs> like I just passed out at the Yeah, that's that's the point. As I always say at the end, where Eddie's head hits the bar, where he just goes unconscious. Oh my god. That's so good. Oh. That's the best. All right, that was today's Eddie's oh. Drug Thoughts. I can't see that close Watch up. something a foot from your face. It's gross. Eddie's Drunk Thoughts. I'm fine. Yeah, my teeth are working. <laughs> yeah. All right, time to take a look at the big calendar that hangs here in the Batcave here at the Ralph Report Studios. We love to see what holidays fall on each and every day of the year. Not all of them, however, are acceptable. If we disagree with a holiday, you will hear this. If we agree with the holiday and you're allowed to celebrate it, you'll hear this. In a segment that we call Holiday or Holiday. Holiday or Holiday, please tell me what we celebrate, Ralph Garman. Only two holidays today. Wow. Just a couple, which works out because I told you we got a jam-packed yeah, show. Good. It worked out well. So we'll have to burn through these, but it is National Grain-Free Day. Grain-free day. Grain-free day. A day for you to eat all of your meals with no grains in them. That's a healthy choice, I guess. I don't think it is, but it says here <laughs> that the reason you do it, it's because it's a remarkable way to devote an entire day to loved ones who have to cope with dietary limitations. Oh. So if you have someone in your family that is perhaps uh, gluten sensitive, right. or they can't eat grains. Gluten intolerant. Right, you join in with them, and you also refrain from eating any <laughs> You grains. suffer for a day so the way they suffer So you can be sad like day. they're sad. <laughs> yeah. Eddie and I have a very good friend named Gabby Zamora, and Gabby is extremely sensitive to she gluten. She can't eat anything. She will get very sick if she eats anything that has gluten in it. And it's a real bane of her existence. It sucks. Every really, place she has to go, every restaurant she goes to, she has to find out if they have gluten-free options. I feel or bad for her. She'll be sick. So what we should do is take Gabby out, and we all should eat gluten-free. <laughs> no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> You'd be hard-pressed for you. Anyway, it says it's a way to recognize the difficulties of a restricted diet, but it celebrates the family and brings everyone back into the kitchen for a meal that's designed just for them. So if anyone in your family has a wheat, corn, or rice allergy or some other autoimmune disease that finds them eating celery sticks at the latest family gathering or office party, this way you can feel them, make them feel included by engaging in National Grain-Free yeah. Eat Day. celery sticks with them and then go in the other room and eat what you need to eat. Eat a burger with a nice <laughs> bun. Some french fries. So uh, grain-free, look, I, I don't know why it has to be a thing. Can't you just accommodate the people in your life who have yeah. uh, dietary restrictions? Right. 
But look, if it makes them feel better, like I said, Gabby suffers all the time having to be the odd man out when it comes to snacking and eating and stuff. So if it makes someone feel better, then do it. I'll join. Suck it up for a day. I'll join in on National Grain Free Day. And as if it couldn't be more diametrically opposed to National Grain Free Day, it's also National Sticky Bun Day. Okay, that's exact opposite of National wow. Sticky Bun Day. The Sticky Bun, for those of you that don't know, and if you don't, you're just you're just losing out. Missing out. I guess I should ask. I didn't even. I need a sticky bun. I, have, yeah, I yeah. assumed you'd eat a I sticky, a sticky bun. bun. That seems like something that even you could <laughs> choke down. The sticky bun is one of the great pastries. It is a uh, rolled piece of leavened dough that contains brown sugar and sometimes cinnamon. And when it's uh, before it's cooked, they put it in a pan that is lined with those sticky sweet ingredients like maple syrup or honey or sugar or butter. And then when it's done baking, they flip the buns over so that all that good stuff is on on the top. And Mm. that's like the icing for the sticky bun. The origin of the sticky bun, you may be interested to know, is like all good things. It came from the city of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Is it really? Only good things come out of that city. That's true. It was brought there in the 19th century by German settlers who brought their baking traditions with them when they began settling in and around Philadelphia. And that's where America first got the sticky bun. In German, it is called the Schnecken. (laughs) The sticky bun. No, it's called der Schnecken. (laughs) Der Schnecken. And Schnecken is the German word for snail. Oh. And when you think about it, that's the shape of it because it spirals in on itself. And it's all slimy. It's not slimy. It's sticky, hence sticky bun. It's not called a slimy bun. (laughs) It's called a sticky bun. Because no one would eat it that way. And so uh, because it's shaped like a snail, the Germans call it the Schnecken. But we here in the United States call it the sticky bun, and it is mm mm-mm good. So we say... Yay is to, there a large, yay to der Schnecken. Is there a large German population in Philly? Is that where a lot of German people settled? There Philly? is. Uh, a lot of Germans, a lot of Irish, a lot of Italian. Well, like most of America. Most East Coast cities settled that way. But um, it seems like a uh, disproportionate amount of German settlers came to that area. Okay. Because we have an enormous amount of what they call the Pennsylvania Dutch as right. well, just north of the city. And Dutch, in this particular case, doesn't mean Netherlands Dutch. It's it more means German. German. Okay. And so that a lot of the good stuff that we eat there in the Philadelphia area, like Scrapple, like the Sticky <laughs> it's Bun, from it was all from uh, the Germans. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. So there you go. There you have it. That's today's holiday or holiday. Eat the Schnecken. Da Schnucken. Schnecken. Schnucken. Schnucken. It is time now to take a look at all the entertainment news with a segment we call the Showbiz Beat. We were talking about this a little bit yesterday, but this uh, Jesse Smollett yeah. from Empire, it's just Keeps getting unfolding and just unfolding. getting worse and worse for this <laughs> oh, motherfucker. Man. And rightly so. If this is if everything turns out to be true what they're accusing him of now, this motherfucker yeah. should pay. Piece of crap. All right, here's what we know so far. There is now footage uh, surveillance camera footage of the two brothers that we were talking about yesterday. They go, these guys were extras on Empire, were friends with Jesse Smollett, and it, by all accounts, it appears as if they were all in some sort of conspiracy together to fake this attack that was had on, on him allegedly. Why would they do it? That's what I don't get. Well, he's the star of the show. They're wannabe actors. They're <sighs> extras on the set. 
Yeah. Uh, they're, they're now going to be subpoenaing his financial records, Jesse Smalls, to see oh. if he paid them as well. That's what the, the, the Chicago PD is assuming. Money trail. Um, but they now have surveillance camera footage of them checking out at a store, buying the items that were used in all, the staged, allegedly staged attack. All together? All three yes. of them? They're at a check. Not the three of them. Oh, the just two the brothers. Two, the two brothers. That would the two brothers really who bad. are named uh, Ola and Abel Osundario. They're from uh, Nigeria, I believe. They were at the checkout counter and they piled up the items, which included ski masks, gloves, bandanas, sunglasses, and red baseball caps. So they weren't even real MAGA hats. They were just red red baseball caps, yeah. And they're seen buying all this stuff the day before the alleged attack. Oh, man. So now the Chicago PD, as of yesterday anyway, said that he has gone beyond, uh, Jesse Smollett has gone beyond a person of interest now to a suspect in the crime of filing, at least filing a false police report. Wow. Not to mention what other things I'm sure they're going to try to hang on when this all shakes out. But uh, it's looking worse and worse for this guy. Man. And they sound like incredibly stupid bad guys, too. They really do. You don't go to the... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the assault store and buy all of your everything at one time. At one time, <laughs> just put a sign on your around your neck saying "Planning no good." Oh my god! Yeah, it's pretty stupid. This sounds exciting and inspirational. However, the uh, first reviews for Captain Marvel are starting to roll oh. in. Disney had its first public screenings on Tuesday of this week, and now. They're starting to hit the internet, some of the reviews, and they have all been glowing, uh, by the well, way. Well, yeah, of course they are. Well, why do you say that? Because they're, they're they're, they're, Disney wouldn't release them. Disney didn't release <laughs> they these. They didn't release These them? are the uh, the pre-press releases that are coming from independent critics oh, who okay. have went to see the screening, and, and now they they're going back to their uh, their outlets, media outlets, mm-hmm. whatever they may be, and, and, and talking about their amazing. thoughts. And they're all saying it's amazing. I'm excited. Here are some of them. Uh, E.T., from Entertainment Tonight, uh, Meredith Kyle said, Captain Marvel doesn't owe us anything, but holy cow, does it deliver. I guess she's saying, you know, it's great to have a, a, a movie that starts from ground zero. It's not, it's not predicated on any previous right. films. Uh, also, from denofgeek.com, Carol's hero moment was very cathartic and true to the female experience. I'm not sure what that means. Me either. But uh, <laughs> good. That's good. <laughs> Sounds good. From The Wrap. Here is my reaction. Captain Marvel absolutely soars. And perhaps the best review has come from Mashable.com, where reviewer Angie Han wrote, Well, Thanos is fucked. (laughs) Said about Captain Marvel. (laughs) Alluding, of course, to the fact that Captain Marvel will play a large role, we assume, in the next episode. She's also one of the most powerful superheroes in the the world, in the universe. Yeah, so I guess she's going to come back and kick some Thanos ass. Ah, So excited. Which is awesome. Now, on the flip side of that coin. We have a phenomenon that this first happened, I guess, really in a big, bad way with uh, Jedi, The Last Jedi. Yeah. Where there was a deluge of negative reviews before the movie even came out Mm -hmm. because it had a female character and an Asian female character specifically. And there's, there's this weird phenomenon now in the geek boy culture of like white angry right-wing geeks. Well, it started at The Force Awakens when uh, Finn was a black guy, a stormtrooper. Right. I, I mean, that started all the way back then. Yeah. Uh, but they were also part of the Gamergate thing that yeah. happened. Yeah. And co- there was a comics gate. Anytime women seem to get into a position of power, these guys get flipped out. Yeah. And now it appears that Rotten Tomatoes is being overrun by multiple fake accounts that are posting negative reviews of Captain Marvel before these people even see it. 
alike. Uh, oh boy, first off, this will be worse than The Last Jedi. I'm calling it now. Critics will love it, but the audience will hate it. Writes one review. <laughs> I've never seen it, but I'm just going to write that exactly. review. Exactly. Idiot. This one is so telling, by the way. An anonymous user posted, Why Marvel decided to cast a very vocal racist and sexist aimed at white males, I'll never know. And this comes from an interview that the star of the movie, Brie Larson, said when asked, Are you concerned that young white men won't respond to this movie because it's a female lead? And she said, Frankly, I don't care what young white men have to say about my movie. It's not my concern. She was saying yeah. basically she cannot control that, Same so she doesn't care. The honest truth. Well, young white men everywhere took that as an as an affront. Man, they're such pusses. And then now she's racist and sexist because oh. she said she doesn't care about what young white men. Why think. don't you care about young white men? And she also said in the same interview that she thinks there should be more female film critics and journalists who cover film, which I think is a fair beef as well. That gives you a balance, yeah. No, 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 no. Then we got another review on uh, Rotten Tomatoes saying, "Tired of all this social justice warrior nonsense. Strong women equals more Hollywood bullshit. No thanks." What? Said one guy. It's an established character that's been in the Marvel Universe. By the way, the same reaction. It's insane. They said was uh, they haven't seen it for a Marvel movie since. Can you guess what movie also got this treatment? Black Panther? Black Panther, yeah. Shocking. Exactly. Because that character so, was brand new, too. Who? Whatever happened to the nerds and the geeks being the sympathetic people who understood what it was like to even, be marginalized? I don't even know if those are real geeks. I think those are just people with political agendas. I suppose. I don't even know if they're true geek fans. I think they're just But it didn't used to be that agendas. those streams didn't cross, usually. The people who were really racist and, and homophobic and sexist very rarely it seemed like we're part of that geek right. culture. Usually that was a kinder, gentler part of, of a subset of society but and I, more accepting. I think those people with those political agendas have found ways to just make everything divisive. Yeah, Every maybe. single thing we take pleasure in, they find a way to make it divisive. And maybe now that superhero films and comic book, the comic book universes in general are part of the giant landscape of popular culture yeah. that's been more inclusive in terms of the people who follow right. that kind of and stuff. And then making the first black superhero and then a, fe a strong female superhero those are things to, to oh, divide us politically and that is very threatening because you know what happens when that gets happened well, lots those, of dudes with small penises get really upset when those movies get made then they start taking things away from <laughs> white guys yeah because that should be a white guy playing black panther or captain marvel why why can't that happen why can't a, a guy dress up as a chick and be <laughs> captain marvel <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, a lot of guys want to see someone in drag oh, like Captain Marvel. Yeah, it's it's depressing, but I just thought it was worth mentioning because fuck those people. Yep. All right, let's take a look at today's celebrity birthdays. It is Thursday, February twenty first. All these stars were born on this day. Jerry Harrison from the Talking Heads is seventy years old today, and this is not him playing at the top. This is obviously a bass intro, but it's one of my favorite Talking Heads songs of all time, and I just wanted to hear it. Oh, God 
Damn it, I love that song. Ba, ba. Uh, Gary Lockwood, very talented actor, was in 2001 A Space Odyssey, was the first guest star in the very first episode of Star Trek. He's got quite a uh, oh, wow. sci-fi cred to his biography. He is 82 years old today. Actress Tyne Daly, you know her best probably still is half of Cagney and Lacey. Her granddaughter goes to my son's school. What the I what? See her, I see her occasionally walking her granddaughter to school. Yeah, hey, Cagney, hey, Cagney. and or Lacey, whichever, whichever one you played. <laughs> How's it going? I could never uh, tell the two apart. I mean, I could tell them apart, but well, I never yeah, knew which yeah, roles you never knew. Played. It's not like Benson and Hedges. You know who you plays know. Benson, and you know who plays Hedges exactly. on that series. Tell by the mustaches. That's right. Anthony Daniels, C3P motherfucking O from the Star Wars films. He's 73 years old today. That's got to suck to crawl into that suit for him. Does he still uh, yeah. crawl into the suit? Yeah, I saw uh, the set. They had some set photos of him taking the helmet off. They shouldn't off. put a 70, now three-year-old man in that suit <laughs> with that helmet on. I think he likes on. it. It's his life's goal, I think. His life's mission. You know me and the claustrophobia. I oh. would not be able to wear that uh, that helmet all day long. That'd make me nuts. <laughs> William Peterson, CSI star, of course, and uh, just a talented guy, 66 years old. Kelsey Grammer, Frazier himself, is 64. Actor Jack Coleman. It was so good on Heroes. Did you watch Heroes when it was on on ABC? I watched NBC? the first season. I didn't watch yeah, much after stuff. that. That was the best season. You've made a good choice. <laughs> He's 61. Christopher Atkins is 58. You don't hear from him much anymore. You don't. But he was in a movie called The Blue Lagoon mm-hmm. with uh, Brooke Shields. <laughs> Brooke Shields back in the day. A lot of us oh, watched that man. film very closely. Yeah, we did. Match over being and over. marooned on an island with Brooke Shields. And it's just like, okay, well, I guess let's just... Oh, we're in nature, and and sex is natural, so let's just bone on the beach. <laughs> they got caught beating off behind the rocks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. didn't we all? <laughs> Singer Mary Chapin <laughs> Carpenter is 61 years old today, primarily known as a country music star, but she's a singer-songwriter who had some crossover success in the early 90s, especially with this tune. Shouldn't I have his... Shouldn't I have his? Shouldn't I have all of this? And passionate kisses, passionate kisses, whoa, whoa, passionate kisses from you. Actor William Baldwin of the Acting Baldwin family is 56 years old today. Actor Titus Burgess from the Unbreakable Kimmy Shit. <laughs> <Whoops>. <laughs> The unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt is 40 years old today. Actress Jennifer Love Hewitt is 40 years old. It's funny, I had that in my mind saying, whatever you do, don't say shit. And that's the first that's thing exactly that came out. exactly what you said. Comedian, director, all-around good guy Jordan Peele of Key and Peele is 40 years old today. When I first met Jordan Peele, he was promoting the uh, Key and Peele show yeah. over on Comedy Central. And he came into the radio station where I was working to promote it, and he came up to me and said, I can't tell you what a huge fan I am of yours. Oh, wow. Which surprised me, because I had no idea he would know who I am. And it turns out he didn't know my radio stuff at all, but he's a huge Joe Schmo fan. Oh, wow. And he said that was one of my favorite TV shows of all time to this day. And then he became a big uh, producer, director, and I have never heard should, from him. Should uh, hit him up for Maybe a I spot should. in a movie. Maybe I should. Uh, Jordan Peele is 40 years old today. Ashley Green of Twilight is 32 years old today. Actress Ellen Page from Inception and Juno is 32 years old today. Actress Sophie Turner from Game of Thrones is 23. And we were just talking about the English beat and general public. Was it maybe even yesterday? Dave yeah, Wakeling two days ago. Two, two days ago, ago, Dave Wakeling had his birthday. Yeah, yeah, two days ago. Ranking Roger of that band also celebrates a birthday this week. He is 58 years old today. Here's some more English beat. And by the way, I got schooled by some Garmy members when I was asking, why would they call them the English yeah. beat? 
because in Britain they were called the Beat. I was like, were we just worried that people wouldn't know they came from England? <laughs> it turns out the record label here in the States had an American band also called the Beat. The Beat, really? And so in order to separate the two, they dubbed them the English Beat. Here's one of their great tunes. How many soundtracks has this song been in? Tune. I think that I just heard that in uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, I think. Yeah, I think it was. That song. Anyway, it's great stuff. That's it for today's Celebrity Birthdays. I'm Ralph Garman. I walk the showbiz beat. And today is Thursday. That means we fling open the doors of that institute of learning known as Ralph Sex University. You don't know what to do. There's one man to help you through. He's a graduate. Once a week here on The Ralph Report, we try to delve into the mysteries of human sexuality and shine some light on them. And of course, your questions are always welcome. That's where we got today's topic. Tanner called in. He is entering into a brand new relationship, and it is not a common one. It is what they call a triad. This is a relationship, a romantic, often sexual relationship between three people as opposed to two people. So he had a question and he called in and left us this message. Hey, Ralph, Tanner Hartley here, Four Star General. I know you guys cover a lot on the sex you thing, but I was curious if you had ever covered a triad relationship. I've recently entered into one and uh, that would be awesome. But anyway, LMB. Now, you can imagine the difficulties in a regular relationship. I don't yeah. want to say regular or normal, but just two people. a relationship between two people. Yeah. The complications, the emotional complications, the clashes of personality, of different wants and desires, trying to compromise and make everybody happy. Just dealing with one person's crap is a lot. Now, now multiply that crap? by oh my God. two. Oh, man. Just for you, but if you take the permutations, it oh. probably becomes like nine different ways of, of fucking things up. Well, right? I just don't know how it doesn't get in that situation where two people side against one person, which yeah. is almost like human nature or just animal nature, like pack instinct. I'm sure, it, you know, if it happens all the time, then I think you have a serious problem. Yeah. But I'm sure there are times when someone's feelings get hurt or someone has an opinion and one person agrees and the other person in the thruple, as yeah. they're known, doesn't agree. There's a lot of permutations and, and potential pitfalls in a relationship involving three people. And Tanner reached out and wanted us to take a look. Now, we did sort of a, we glossed over this when we did our Ralph Sex You on polyamory, which are people who feel the ability to love multiple people. Mm -hmm. Often that it involves open relationships if you're in a couple or a single person will have many boyfriends and girlfriends. But a triad is a specific kind of polyamory that we're going to narrow in on today. And I wanted to talk about it because it, it can be confusing to some people who are unfamiliar or can't imagine themselves in a relationship like that. So I wanted to talk about the different types of triad relationships and the different dynamics in each of them. Now, just as a basic definition, a triad is a relationship between three people and it usually involves all three people actively involved romantically and sexually with the other person. It's known as a delta or a triangle or 
as we mentioned, a triad. Now, there's different kinds of triads, and it breaks down into these basic different types. Now, of course, there's as many different kinds, I'm sure, as there are three groups, three people in a group together. Right. These are the basics. One is called a closed romantic triad. This means that the three people in the situation are all in relationship with each other, and that is the extent of their romantic and sex life. So that they find everything they need sexually and romantically from they don't go one of the of other, the right? One of yeah. the other uh, partners. So this is a closed relationship. They don't have sex or date other people. The three of them are a closed uh, romantic or sexual relationship. Now, depending on the dynamics, which is who's involved, usually one of those persons is bisexual. Right, you have to assume if it's two imagine. women and a man, and they're all involved with each other, then the women have to be bisexual, or vice versa. If there's two men and a woman, uh, the men, in all likelihood, will be bisexual as well. But you can have three women together, three men together. You, you, can, you would think they'd all have to be comfortable together. Exactly, and they have to find what they want from each other. And I think that's the one—not the one. I don't want to judge, but that's a upside to having a romantic relationship in a thruple, which is you can get different things from different partners and still be in a closed romantic relationship, right. you know? So that's one type. Then there is the closed romantic to one partner triad, it's called, which is, how's the best way to describe this? If it helps, think of this relationship as a V. So if, if you look at the capital letter V, at the bottom there is the point. That would be the one person, and then they're dating each person that shoots off to the left right. and the so right. So two people are dating one person. Right, but the people at, that that person is dating aren't interacting right. with each other, okay? So that is called a V relationship or a, a closed romantic to one partner triad. That would, and that person in the middle is called the hinge, the usually hinge. in so that, that makes, relationship. I see how that works. That would okay. require a lot of scheduling, I think. I would think so too, yes. And in that case, it's often obviously a, a heterosexual man or woman has two opposite sex partners, if right. that makes any sense. Yes. And the, if the women aren't bisexual, then you, understandably they wouldn't be in a relationship yeah. together. Another type of triad is the open triad. And this would be like any open relationship where all the partners are free to have sex or romantic liaisons with anyone that they choose to. So the primary relationship is the three people together, but they're also free to date and have sex outside of the relationship. That's known as an open triad. And then, this is interesting, this is called a closed dyad, which means two people, with open partner. That means there's a basic couple at the center of this relationship. And their relationship is with each other mm -hmm. and with the third member of their triad. But they are exclusive to each other and that partner. But the partner has an open relationship where they can they go off and do be with they other want. people. Exactly. Right. So it would be like having a marriage with a boyfriend and girlfriend on the side. But that person does not have to be exclusive to the married couple, if gotcha. that makes any sense. Gotcha. So as you can imagine, all of these can go off in many different directions. But those are the basic breakdowns of the triads. There's even something called an asexual triad, which is three people living together in a relationship with no sex involved whatsoever. Sounds like roommates. Basically, yeah. but they have enormous love for each other. Right. And this is often a case where three people who identify as asexual people who don't aren't interested in sex with anyone, they form a three-way relationship and they that's their that's their family unit. Right. And that's just their tribe. So there you go. Those are the basic breakdowns of triad relationships. I thought it would be interesting to talk to a member of the Garmy who has been in a triad for some time, since Tanner's just getting into one. 
I thought it'd be interesting to hear the perspective of someone who's been in one for a while. And so I sat down with member of the Garmy, Stephen, and we talked about his relationship. He's bisexual, and he has a boyfriend and a girlfriend, and they are a couple Mm -hmm. with a child. And the three of them live together as a family unit. Interesting. Very interesting. I sat down with Stephen, and here's what he had to say about triads. Great to talk to a member of the Garmy who's actually currently involved in a triad. And it is Stephen. How you doing, sir? Doing wonderful, Ralph. And yourself? I'm well. Thanks so much for taking some time to talk to us today. Oh, of course, of course. I'm really glad to help, and I think this is going to be fun. Yeah, it should be an interesting topic. A lot of people have a lot of questions, and I hope we can cover some of them here. Uh, How did you first get involved in a triad? Uh, Well, I've only been in one, and it's the one I'm currently in, and it's actually with two of my best friends. Um, One, I've known him since practically preschool, and her, I've known her since we were in high school. Were they a couple first, and then you joined? Yeah, actually, we we were all together just as friends, like best friends, and I ended up joining the military, so I left for a few years. They got married while I was gone. I came back for the wedding, of course, and then after I got out, um, we ended up getting all together, and I uh, eventually moved in to the house with them about two years ago. Okay, so let's talk about how the decision came about for the three of you to (laughs) enter into a relationship together, because a lot of people... I think we'll have a hard time even wrapping their head around how something like that happens. Right. Well, it it took us a little bit, too. Uh, One night we were all just hanging out, which we did every night, practically. Um, We had a few drinks and apparently they had a discussion about me joining them one night in bed. I was always attracted to her and him. It was something that we just never discussed. And apparently both of them were the same way with me. So one night we all got together and... Uh, after that, we had a discussion the next uh, day or something, and then we thought it was a one-time thing, and then it kept happening. And then I was over there more often, and then eventually they said, you know what? We love this. We're all in love with each other. We can do our things together, and everybody's happy. So they invited me to move in with them. Okay, so I'm assuming then that you're bisexual. Correct. So it is a three-way relationship where you all have sex with each other. Yes, or uh, as coupled off, too. Okay. Um, now you're living together. Mm-hmm. What is the living arrangement like? Do you all sleep in the same bed? Is there a rotating schedule? <laughs> How does that work? <laughs> right, right. Well, uh, we do have an extended family home here, so it's a full house downstairs and an apartment upstairs. So um, they do have a child together. So I uh, live upstairs in the apartment upstairs uh, with a, a couple of my roommate friends, and they live downstairs. Uh, her and him, their child, and her mother lives downstairs as well. And everybody knows everything with the exception of the child, of course. There's no reason to bring that into a young kid's uh, <laughs> world yet. Right. <laughs> so pretty much Uncle Steve lives upstairs. They all are friend, best friends and they love each other. That's pretty much what she knows. So the parents still sleep together each night. I just come up here. So you guys are open about this to all your friends and family? Correct. Yeah, actually, it's wide on Twitter. <laughs> What has the reaction been of those who maybe are unfamiliar with this unconventional relationship? Well, it was funny because at first uh, I was definitely apprehensive of telling my parents, uh, especially, you know, coming back from the military and everything. And they're like, what happened? And I'm like, well, I'm in love with both of them. I always have been. And they both understood my parents are very they are a little traditional. But my father always told me, do what makes you happy no matter what. And I always took that to heart. And this makes all of us happy. So we did that. And they all understood. 
Uh, my little sister, she took it a little different at first, uh, mostly because she was mad I didn't tell her before my parents. So, but she's really happy for us, and I've obviously uh, uh, the woman that's in our relationship, her mom is happy. I mean, she lives here; she's with us all the time, so she understands and really gets it too. So, I've had it easy. Oh, well, all of us have had it pretty easy. No, nothing negative really from any of our friends and family. That's amazing. You have a support system that allows you to be open about this. Yeah. And like I said, we're very fortunate, very lucky because I know there's a lot of people out there who don't have that type of support system or the family turns their back on them. And that's horrible. It's like, seriously, don't you want your family, your friends to be happy? That should be all that matters. Now, is this a committed relationship? Are you guys exclusive with each other? A hundred percent committed. We do not date with anybody else. They could do whatever they want and I could do whatever I want. That was the rule at the beginning, but it came out to be no, if you want to be with us, you got to be with us and it's vice versa. Like we're, it's just us three and that's it. And we've all agreed a hundred percent on that. Are there any complications in a relationship involving three people? Because I know that when you're coupled up with just one person, uh, at best it can be trying, difficult, there can be <laughs> issues. I can imagine that's compounded with three personalities involved. Um, a kind of a little bit, but at the same time, you always have somebody else you can talk to about uh, any issues you're having with the other person's. Uh, like maybe you have an argument with, like say I have an argument with her or him. I can go to the other one and say, hey, this is what happened. I need perspective on this. I, I need to figure out why am I getting upset over this? Should I get upset or should, should I have done this? And it, it's easier because we're very open. We can talk about stuff like that. But yeah, there's other times where it's like, I wasn't feeling good and they were downstairs like all week and I really didn't get to hang out with anybody and I feel bad, but nothing crazy. Like we don't have too many issues. Are there any jealousy issues? You just mentioned that like they're hanging out together a lot and mm. maybe you feel a little bit on the outside at a given moment. Does that ever pop up? Exactly. And that that's the one thing that happened. It happened to me once and I don't even know why. It was so stupid because after we talked about it, it's like, well, I was just being, I was just overreacting. I was just over emotional at that point and I wasn't feeling well. So everything just built up on it. <laughs> but yeah, it's happened. But the good thing is, it's like, okay, it's jealousy over somebody else that we're all in love with. So what does it matter? Hmm. How long has this relationship been going on? Four years, I think now. Four years. Wow. Something like that. So it's close to that that it started. But again, like we've all known each other. We've been best friends for decades. And as far as you're all concerned, mm -hmm. is this your relationship for life? Are you guys committed to each other to the point where you feel this will just be how it is forever? That's the plan anyway. Right. <laughs> we've, we've all talked about it. We've, we've set five-year plans to move out of this area somewhere else. We're saving up for houses and stuff. It's, it's been nice. And we're, we're always helping each other out here. Always, it's, it's definitely a family. I, I don't even know how else to explain it. You mentioned the, the fact that they have a child. Mm-hmm. As that child grows up, eventually, if this does continue on, you will have to explain the arrangement. Has that crossed your minds at all? Definitely it has. But instead of – it's not really forcing it. Instead of bringing it up first, we're going to wait for her to ask the question. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest – like, you know what? Until there's an actual question about it, there's no reason to worry her about anything. I mean, she's in school. She's little. There's no reason for that yet. But, yeah, definitely. We're not going to lie. If someone out there is listening to this and they are interested in being involved in a triad or it's something they're curious about, do you have any advice for someone who's been doing it for four years now? You had those feelings even before you got together with this couple. 
Is there anything you could suggest to help them make this a successful arrangement? Uh, my biggest piece of advice, uh, especially if it's somebody that you're attracted to that you're friends with, sit down and talk with them. I mean, be have very serious, open conversation with them about it. I, I never would have thought this would have happened as much as I've wanted it all those years. I never would have thought it happened until one of them started it, you know, so right. you gotta, you gotta be honest with somebody, but there's also communities out there that I'm sure you can uh, find. I, like I said, I've been with these guys since I started, so I never had the need to search it out. But I, I know there's online communities out there that can help ask questions and stuff. It's been so amazing to get the perspective of someone who has done this and done it successfully. It sounds like you are genuinely happy and, and <laughs> you're, you're, geez, I don't even know. You can't say you're others. You're, <laughs> the, 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 uh, the, the phraseology gets complex here. But <laughs> the rest of your family, I guess, it seems like they're very happy as well. Oh, extremely. It's seriously, this is, this saved my life. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's, that's a pretty strong statement. Yeah. It's hundred percent true though. I was in some bad places after coming back and this saved me. Wow. Well, Steven, I could not be happier for you and for your husband and wife. <laughs> I don't even know. How do you refer to each other? I don't, I don't, I don't know. Uh, uh, we, uh, honey. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, we never really thought of it before. All right. Well, I'm glad you and your honeys, uh, everybody seems to be very happy together. Thanks so much for spending some time with us today and sharing your thoughts. Uh, thank you very, very, very much. Appreciate it. So there you have it. For someone, especially if you're bisexual, it sounds like an ideal relationship. Sounds, Literally the best of both worlds. Sounds pretty good. And, <laughs> of course, as we mentioned, it does carry with it the, the same potential pitfalls that any relationship does. I almost is, feel like that sort of relationship has to have even more open communication than just a regular couple. Relationship. Well, as you heard Steven say, yes, you have to be in constant communication. And there are moments where, as you mentioned, human nature will take over and people get their feelings yeah. hurt. Someone feels like the odd one out. And he said, you constantly have to address those things and talk them out and keep things healthy. The only, if you hold shit in, invariably that will blow yeah. up. So, Tanner, I hope that helped answer some of your questions. I wish you all the best and let us know how it's going because, shit, I don't know. Maybe I can talk my wife into this. Maybe I can get me a girlfriend out of this whole deal. You'll find a unicorn. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? That's today's Ralph Sex University. And speaking of my wife, I'm glad she's not here yet because I'd probably get a swift kick to the nards for that comment. We love to break down our favorite TV shows for you every week. We've been doing it with The Bachelor this season. And last night was the premiere episode of another one of our favorite shows. One of the few shows we watched together as a family. It is Survivor over there on CBS. By the way, I, I talked to Jeff uh, Probst, the host of that show. Oh, really? Trying to get him on as a guest oh, sometime that'd be great. soon. Yeah, he's a good man. So uh, Carrie and I sat down, watched the show last night. And here is our breakdown of last night's Survivor. This is Survivor. Well, last night was the premiere of Survivor Edge of Extinction. That sounds so scary it, and dangerous. And and no one knows what it means, at least not, not at the yet. beginning of the episode. Uh, Jeff Probst announces it's the 38th season of Survivor. And here we are still watching and breaking it down for you on the Survivor Report. Joining me, of course, is my lovely wife, Carrie. Hello, everybody. And we watched last night's episode and we're here to break it down for you interesting batch of Survivor contestants on this season. The first couple episodes is kind of hard to get a vibe on everyone. It Yes, it is hard. And there's always a couple of personalities that stand out. So, you know, 
so much. Yeah. It's really big personalities, and those are there. Yeah, there I was... can't decide if I like the girl with Tourette's or not. Well, we'll talk about Wendy in a bit. Yeah. Uh, there was, it is an odd batch because there seems to be some real seemingly disadvantages that some of the contestants are carrying around this season. I was surprised. Like Keith, for example, they jump off the boat. You know, when they get on Survivor, they bring everyone in on a boat and then they make them jump off the boat and and put all the supplies into their rowboats and head into shore to their respective camps. Mm -hmm. And Keith jumps off the boat and then he's got a revelation to announce to everyone. best swimmer out there and I've never been in open water. Naturally me who can't swim it caused me to be the first one gone. Keith can't swim. He can't swim. It strikes me if you're a person who knows yourself well enough to know that you can't swim and you've never been in open water. Maybe Survivor isn't the game for you. Maybe could he have jumped and tried to land a little closer to the boat? He jumped and landed right in the middle of nowhere, and I'm then not, he couldn't get to it. I'm not even concerned about the first thing of getting the, the fruit into the rowboat to camp. Every other challenge on Survivor entails you going out into the ocean and diving under and getting a buoy yes. and releasing something else. Almost every other challenge it's involves true. serious swimming. Listen, I think that they should put people on Survivor that don't know how to swim. And I also think they should give them life jackets. Because how funny would it be to watch him try and swim down to unleash a buoy with a life jacket on? That would be wildly entertaining. I would like to see that. But I think that would put his tribe at a disadvantage if that was the case then as my wife mentioned we met wendy wendy has a uh, particular quirk as well that i think in terms of the social game may may work against her i have tourette's with like a touch of ocd like a lot of them are like combos because they're like if i do this one i'll go and then do this arm one, and then it's like a whole bunch, like mixed in, it has to be all of them. And I feel like right now they're kind of good, but if I get really excited or if I get really concentrated (laughs) into something, or if I talk about them, they act up a lot. Yeah, Wendy's got Tourette's. She also has more than a little bit of OCD. She's got plenty of OCD, and she's super annoying. And that's separate from her. I don't know. That's separate from whatever. Uh, it's only been one episode. You might change your mind. I might, but I find her super annoying. Okay. Even without Tourette's or OCD, I would I know find why her you annoying. do. You find her annoying because of her voice. It's too whiny it's for not, you. It's not a good one. I'll, t- no. I'll tell you that. Yeah. And it strikes me again that. She says if she gets super excited or she has to concentrate really hard that she's at her worst. Well, Survivor's really about being really excited during challenges and then concentrating really hard. Once again, this is not the skill set for someone I think would excel at the game of Survivor. Do you think that she it kicks into high gear when she has sex? I don't even want to think about that, quite frankly. And then with her OCD, nope, she kind of has to do the movements. Not putting that in my head. All right. Uh, You're no fun. Then we met Julie. She's an Etsy mom, and she's from New York City, and she is very open about the fact that she has no skills that would be applicable in the outdoors no survivor skills at all, and freely tells people that. She had one close encounter with the outdoors in New York City. I live in New York City. I have no outdoor survivor skills whatsoever. Oh, I have a splinter, but it hurts. I think the closest that I can come to is that I peed in the bushes of Central Park once, and that was that was an emergency. Again, urinating outside, I don't think counts as 
maybe put something on the application for Survivor. No. Seems like a lot of people not qualified to be on the show. Maybe if, they've run out of contestants. If urinating outside qualifies you for Survivor, then Mr. Yeah. You need to sign up. I'd be a champion. Yes, yeah. you would. You love to pee in the backyard. Reggie and I will often go at the at the end of the night together. Yes, I'm aware of like, that. Like like just the, like the alpha wolf and my and my pack. <laughs> We're out there marking our territory. I hope you're doing it in the flower beds and not on the new fake grass. Depends on how many drinks I've had. Then Ron, the uh, teacher, he actually, I like him a lot because he seems like he's got a good head and a shoulder. He knows how to play the game. And while they were on the boat, before they got even to camp, the man came across a uh, secret advantage. And how great is that on the game of Survivor right out of the chute to come up with an advantage? But I have something on my mind. A secret advantage of my pocket. There's 18 people on that boat, and I found it. And now I'm thinking, I got to get away, read this thing. I got to get away and read this thing. <laughs> uh, he did read it, and it was a menu of potential advantages. Yeah. He could steal uh, a prize in a uh, reward challenge from the other team if he lost. Right. He could steal someone's vote at tribal council. He could use it for personal immunity. Mm-hmm. That is an awesome advantage. That's very advantage. powerful. And they, they have been doing unique things with advantages and idols the last couple of season seasons that have really changed the game. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting. Good for Ron. So they split them up into the Manu and the Kama tribes. And they have their first challenge for tribal immunity. And uh, Kama wins, Manu goes away sad, and it looks like that Reem is going to be on the chopping block. We haven't really talked about Reem yet. She is an older woman who is just a bitch. Yeah, she's she, got a cool name, she Reem. Does, she does have a real I like a, that name. But Reem, you know what reaming means. Of course. You know, just stick something up your yeah, ass. That, that's, she's appropriately named. She's very appropriately named because she crawls right up everybody's ass, mm-hmm. and everybody is fed up with her by the time tribal rolls around it's a foregone conclusion that she's going to be booted out. Right. And they don't even hide it. They say it right in front of her face. And she takes umbrage to that and starts at tribal council to mouth off to the rest of her tribe. I'm not done. Like, and then, just well, here's the funny thing. My name was thrown out, apparently, because they want to keep the tribe strong. I'm going with age discrimination, to be quite honest with you. Because how would you know if I wasn't strong or not strong? I mean, do we need to have, like, a wrestling competition here? Is that something we can do in tribal, Jeff? <laughs> I'm just saying. Reem, is this normal for you? Well, are you a little confrontational just by nature back home? That's polite Jeff Probst speak for, are you a bitch at home right. too? Or are you just one here right. on my show? Is this the normal, the, the normal Reem here? Yes. Well, no one is surprised when Reem gets voted off the island and there's much rejoicing. But then at that point. There's a twist. Is when we find out what edge of extinction means. As she is walking off down the path of shame after she's been voted out, she runs across a fork in the road and there's a series of signs waiting for her. And she reads them, and this is what they say. You have a decision to make. You do not want to play anymore. Follow this path, and your adventure will end. If you want a chance to get back in the game, take the torch and get on the boat. Hmm. So that's what happens. She takes the torch, she gets on the boat, and they shuttle her around to the other side of the island, And she is let off with no shelter, no fire, no food. She is abandoned on the other side of the island. I mean, this is not like when they used to put them 
in isolation. What did they call it in previous uh, seasons? Redemption Island. Redemption Island. This yeah. is not that. This no. this is this is the edge of extinction. Right. Yeah, you're right there. Just right. you're either going home or you're living in such awful conditions that you're you will wish you had gone home. Right. And apparently that's the twist this season is that people who live on the edge of extinction will have an opportunity to earn their way back into the game, but we don't know exactly what they're gonna make them do to do that just yet. We'll find out this season. Yeah. But she sat there at the end of the episode and she was just motherfucking the rest of her team, just could not have a good word to say about any of them, or the fact that she was cold and tired and stuck on the edge of extinction. No offense, but screw my tribe. Like, you're mad that I put your freaking clothes on the beach to dry? Whatever. And I don't want to cry because I'm still in the game and I'm happy to be in the game, but it's wet and it's cold. I just got to stick it out. Edge of freaking extinction. That's what they should call the show. Edge of freaking extinction. She's also she always has a Bridget of Long Island quality about her voice. How dare you? She is nowhere <laughs> as fabulous as Bridget. Edge of freaking extinction. No. So we're off and running. I think it's going to be a real good season. I think the personalities are going to be really, really interesting. I think it's going to be very good. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. We'll uh, catch you up next week as we break down the second episode of Survivor Edge of Extinction. And before we say goodbye, we still have time to squeeze in one last thing. More of my conversation with Danny Roebuck. Here in this part of the interview, I talked to Danny about his work as Jay Leno in an HBO movie called The Late Shift. It was about the late night wars between Leno and Letterman. He did a great job in this. If you haven't seen this, you should definitely hunt it down and check it out for yourself. Here's more of my conversation with Daniel Roebuck. I was a fan of your work long before we became friends. But this role was the thing that truly blew me away. And you mentioned it earlier in our conversation, but The Late Shift, that movie you did for, was it HBO? HBO movie, yeah, 19, yeah. Because like many of us who are TV geeks, we were all caught up in the book at the time. Was that Bill Carter wrote that book? Bill Carter, yeah, a a great book. And for those who don't know, the book pretty much details the late night wars between Leno and Letterman at the time that Johnny Carson was stepping down from The Tonight Show and who was going to be be given that mantle. And they made a movie out of it. And I remember at the time when I heard they were making a movie of it saying, this is going to be one of those films that will fall flat because they will not be able to find anyone who can personify these characters that we know so well to make us believe the story. Mm -hmm. And I was absolutely wrong. John Higgins. Oh, great actor. Did a phenomenal job as Letterman. But your performance as Jay Leno was transcendent. Oh, thank you. And what, how do you, well, I don't know anything about it. Tell me how you get that job. How does that story, how does that story go? Yeah, that's, um, thank you for those kind words. So, um, you know, my systemology for how to audition is to, to, be fully formed when I walk in. I'm okay. less concerned about the words or more concerned about the person. That's how it's always been. Um, we did something very unique, and I didn't know Jay well enough, and we didn't live, it's, imagine that's 23 years ago, we didn't live in this this time that we do now where all information is at our fingertips. And it's hard for people to remember that that really was only 20 years ago that all that happened. Yeah. Before that, you know, when they were getting me the footage of Jay Leno, they were sending, you know, there was a, a guy delivered video cassettes to my house so I could watch them. 
because there was, you know, you couldn't just look look up interviews. And all we knew about was Jay Leno on The Tonight Show. They sent me over a movie and um, uh, an interview that he did with Barbara Walters or something. So uh, for that first audition, I uh, colored my hair black with uh, this rouge that you could put in your hair to color it. I put a little gray in it. I remember painting a little gray in it. You know, I did the best I could. I didn't, uh, I I had watched Jay, but I wasn't, you know, like from a a, a, a perspective of impression, I didn't really do Jay, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And here's how stupid I was. When I read the book, they sent me the book, then they sent me the script. Um, they meeting, you know, uh, my manager's not the studio. Um, I asked my manager, here's how dumb I am. I said, can I, I'd rather read for Warren Littlefield. And, you know, <laughs> And Wayne Rice, you know, who is about the smartest guy next to Tommy Lee Jones I ever met, he simply said, Roby, they're not going to put Warren Littlefield on the poster. <laughs> you know, got a point. that's why you need smarter people. Yeah. Than you. So uh, I said, well, I'll read for Jay, but then I want to read for Warren Littlefield, you know, like a moron. Um, so I read for Jay and then they called and said, they're sending you material. They, they like you, but they like you to, you know, review this stuff and come back. And Did they want a little more imp- they wanted, impression? Yeah, they wanted yeah a little, a little, a little deeper. More. Yeah, to see if I could I could do it, and uh, yeah, I went uh, I for that audition. I had my buddy Chuck Williams actually show for me, and it was uh, stuff we I don't usually do it like this, but he drove. I sat in the back of the car. We pulled up to uh, the gate at the back of Universal. And he goes, I've uh, Daniel Robuck here. He's going to play Jay Leno in the Late Shift, you know. And the guy's like, Oh, uh, you know. Wow. I, I don't. I didn't sign anything. I didn't do anything. I was just, you know, I was just Jay trying to be, you know, Jay. And um, <laughs> after I got the part, you know, the, the Betty Thomas said, you know, we didn't have anybody else to play this part. And really? You think shit. <laughs> I wish I would have known that when we were negotiating. I wouldn't have to work yeah. so hard. <laughs> yeah, why was I begging you? You should have been begging me. So the thing about the late shift that's interesting, a couple things if I could share. One is uh, my daughter, Grace, uh, was a huge fan of Jay Leno. She loved Jay Leno. And when they were going off the air finally, she said, can you, you know, and they've been very good to me over the years. In fact, I produced an animated Christmas film and Jay's the narrator. Like, not only has has he always been gracious to me, you know, performer to performer. Mm-hmm. He's also been gracious enough to work with me. Did you know him before you played him? No, oh, no, okay. no. So no, this no. is all subsequent. This is su- subsequent, yeah. So um, we go to see, you know, that last week of shows and uh, my, you know, my daughter and I and my son and my buddy were all up there getting our picture taken with him. And he says, hey, Dan, how, how long ago was that movie? And I said, oh, my God, Jay. There's how hard you can never have this. I said, you know how long it was? I pointed to Grace. I said, it was this person ago because she was born the day after we finished shooting. Wow. The day after. So I was like, her? That's how long ago it was. Wow. This this girl standing here. Um when the movie came out, um, we were blacked out by NBC because Warren Littlefield was still running NBC. Right. And he was not going to he have any of that mentioned on the no. network. So we were blacked out. So I never got to do the Tonight Show. John Michael Higgins, though, was booked on to the David Letterman show. And they flew him out there and then publicly humiliated him. Mm. Now, John Michael Higgins is the real deal. He's yes. a 
he's a great actor. And for those who don't know him from this project, you know him from all the Christopher Guest films that he's done. He's a brilliant improviser and actor and just super yeah, talented guy. Super talented guy. Uh, and David Letterman had on on the show uh, 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 Roberts, Julia Roberts, and he was talking to her about uh, meatloaf recipes, per- clearly, purposely trying to comically stall. Mm. Like, so what kind of... like? And then at the end of the show, he goes, well, we didn't have time to bring out John Michael Higgins, who plays me in the late shift, but maybe you can meet him in the lobby after the, he'll, oh, be, he'll be there man. to shake your hand. Uh, and uh, I thought, damn, you know, thank God I played the nice guy. Mm. And, and that, I, I mean, through the time, it was funny because everybody, that's the joke of it is they all thought Leno was a dupe, but Leno <laughs> had the staying power to be like just consistently funny. Right. Uh, I've never been a fan of David Letterman, I'll be perfectly honest, and that how he treated my my co-star was abhorrent to me. Mm. And uh, and I, I think it's interesting, they keep trying to revive David Letterman, but throughout the course of his life, he's, he's proven to be a hypocrite and a liar and not very funny to me, and I never understand why they keep giving him another chance. I don't really care about his opinion because he's not a good guy. Mm. I don't know. He doesn't appear to be a good guy. Maybe I shouldn't say slanderous things. Yeah, I don't. I don't know him. I was a fan. I, I remember watching him late night with my friends in college and stuff and everything. And I, I always was a fan. But personally, he seems like he's a kind of a tortured cat where he's not very happy. Being not very him. happy. And then there's Leno. Always seemed like the happier yeah, guy and, of the two for and, sure. And 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 is by the way, all, I, in every interaction I've ever had with Leno since then. And I called him the day we were done shooting. I called. I mean, I called. NBC, I said, The Tonight Show, they put me through, they answered, I said, hello, this is Danny Roebuck calling for Jay Leno, and they went, one second, and he got on the phone. Wow. Like, like he because I knew Betty had said that he had been following it and asking her and mm. tra- checking in on how it's going, but I never bothered him. Like, I didn't want to be that guy right. to, to bug him. I played Gary- Let me follow you around for yeah. a week. And- uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> what, how, now, you know, are you, do you, does a toilet roll come off the top <laughs> or the bottom? Oh, uh, Danny, why don't you get the hell out of my bathroom? <laughs> um, but you don't want to bother people. Like, uh, you know, I, I just, you know, we better be able to do our job like, as well as we can without, you know, bothering people like Jay Leno. Yeah, I, you know, just to put a button on the David Letterman, I, I was unhappy with all the, the sexual harassment stuff that came out. I thought, here's a guy who always, you know, makes fun of everyone else, but, you know, at the same time was, I don't know. I just don't know. You don't take a guy like John Michael Higgins and, and humiliate him. Why? Because he did a good job? Mm. F you. Yeah. You know, you don't deserve this this money and mantle you have. I don't know. You should be on late night. <laughs> Ralph Garman. Let's start right. Right in campaign. That's what America needs. Another late night talk right, show. We only have seven. And that's it for today's show. Oh, I'm exhausted. Man. That was a lot of show. How'd we fit it all in? Uh, I don't know if we did. We'll have to wait and see. <laughs> I may miss something. Tomorrow is you know I love me some Fridays. We'll take a look at all the new movies and theaters this weekend. Steve Ashton will be back again with yet another UK update. And I promise you, I know a lot of people are excited. We're going to try to fit in 
a conversation about people who get turned on by people turning into giant blueberries and how erotic they find that. I know one. Because we know Eddie knows one. And I was stunned when I read this article how on point it was oh. in regards to Eddie's nine-year-old son who got oh, a boner man. watching Violet Beauregard turn into a blueberry during Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I'm in trouble. So we'll find some time for that tomorrow. I promise you. Come on back. You're not going to miss it. I love you. I mean it. Bye.